You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Wrath of the Titans. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with you this week with Christian Marlski. It's pronounced Navigator. (laughs) What language is that, Dingus? Very good. And Kelly Wand with a Wrath of the Titans tagline. Kelly Wand, what do you got for us? Boobo Olshit. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think your connection was cutting out. I didn't catch all of that. Sign of the Owl. You don't remember the owl's name? Oh, did they say it in the... Okay, well, you know what? We'll get into that in a moment. Hold that. It's time. also the name of a Black Plague uh, tumor. There's the swelling right. under your arms, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's either it's either a golden owl or swelling under your arms. One of them is really bad. Yeah. The other's only moderately bad. They were golden owl shaped. That's why they called it the Black Death. Ah, <laughs> very good. A little See? history. Uh, That's what Wrath of the Titans teaches kids. Well, let's not spoil anything yet. <laughs> Black <laughs> Death was also in Season of the Witch. That was another history movie that taught kids. It was also in Black Death. No, I didn't see that one. All right. A, a great Sean, or not a great, a very good Sean Bean movie. Uh, but we didn't see Black Death this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, nor did we see Season of the Witch. We instead saw. Dingus, what did we see this week? Don't spoil anything, by the way. Don't give away any major plot points, but just tell the folks what movie we saw this week. All right, this week we saw Wrath of the Titans, mm. a 2012 mm-hmm. American action adventure fantasy post production 3D sequel movie. About the demigod Perseus saving the universe. Mm. Uh, it was directed by Jonathan Liebsman and the written universe. by a yeah. Well, that's what that, that, that's a line. What am I the, the known universe. Oh, uh, these days. So the Norse universes. I could have talked about heaven, but you know somebody mentioned the universe in the movie, so I figured I'd. Attribute. Those primitive peoples really knew how things worked. I really had their finger on the pulse of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> It was written by Dan Mazzeau and David Leslie Johnson, based on characters in the script of 1981's Beverly Cross. It stars Rosamund Pike, Bill Nye, Sam Worthington, Liam Neeson, and Rafe Fiennes. Wrath of the Titans is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of fantasy violence and action. Fantasy. Kelly Wan, do you, yeah, do you take any issue with that, Kelly Wan? Uh, the parts I heard or the parts I didn't hear? I just, I, would you be okay with a, a 12-year-old child seeing this movie unaccompanied by an adult? Fuck yeah. That's the <laughs> only way to see it, I would think, based on my experience. The two uh, Chinese people brought in a, a little baby in a stroller in the middle of this, like 10 minutes in. So wait, what you're saying, Kelly Wan, is the baby missed the opening? Yeah. It's totally confused, and the baby's crying from his perplexity, because Jonathan Liebsman's way too deep for the <laughs> Well, hold, hold that thought. We want to hear more about your experience in just a second. Uh, but in case you haven't seen Wrath of the Titans, we're not going to spoil anything just yet. Kelly Wan will be doing that shortly. But before we spoil things, let me tell you, Wrath of the Titans came in second place this weekend. It actually did fairly well uh, at $34 million. Uh, yep, that's right. Uh, it, did, it didn't beat Hunger Games. Hunger Games is still going strong. Uh, we gave it our money, too, thanks to you. We did contribute because Kelly Wan really wanted to see it. Uh, it is not doing very well critically. On Rotten what? Tomatoes, oh, yeah, I know, it's hard to believe. On Rotten Tomatoes, 25% of the reviews are positive. 
out-of-touch snobs from Harvard think tanks or whatever. Well, hey, at least, Kelly, one, one way to look Latte at it is it, one in four reviewers liked this movie. Uh, uh, on, on one-fourth of every reviewer liked one-fourth of the movie. Uh, I don't think that's how they gauge it. I don't think you can split yourself What was like the number that. one movie that it beat? That beat it. Well, it beat it beat Mirror Mirror, Tarsum's Snow White movie uh, that that came out for like tween girls, most of whom went to see Hunger Games again, I guess. Uh, so it went first place Hunger Games, second place Wrath of the Titans, third place Mirror Mirror. Uh, but okay, so uh, Wrath of the Titans twenty five percent on Medic on Rotten Tomatoes on Metacritic, which gauges the average rating of reviews. It is currently at thirty seven percent. Now, Kelly Wand. Before we uh, discuss our reaction to it critically, you know, how we felt about it, Kelly Wan, why don't you uh, give us a, a brief, maybe a rundown of the events depicted oh, in the film? A little rundown plug there for spoiler. <laughs> you're on to me, I see. I'm, uh, already, I'm already looking forward to next week. You're very, you're not that hard to tag. Dude, where's my synopsis? Oh, you mean a Wrath of the Tights? Yes, rock and roll. <clears throat> Wrath of the Titans, motherfuckers. What do Sam Worthington, the director of Battle L.A., the Clash of the Titans franchise, and 3D have in common? They're all part of a four-way tie for the awesomest reasons to be alive in 2012 instead of ancient Greece. Oh, well, at least I can still ogle Gemma Arterton's everythings. Whoop, nope, she's been killed off. Any details on how that happened? No, just a tombstone. Greeks had tombstones? Oh, well, at least things can't get any shittier. Oh, look, a kid. Perseus, who sounds even more like he's from the Greek Isle of Australia than usual. I guess he's realized he's not fooling anybody. Has renounced his royal title of Krakenslayer. 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 Which makes sense since there was only one. And lives a simple-minded life in a humble hut of simple weed with his non-Australian son by Gemma Arterton. Or maybe another chick who's also dead or passed out in another hut. He also lives with an old woman, I guess this is his grandma, whom I don't remember from the first movie. Her body language suggests she's saying something wise and maybe plot-related, but I'm kind of zoning out. One night, Zeus shows up. Perseus isn't happy to see him. Zeus is all, men don't worship us anymore. And Perseus is all, with good reason. And Zeus is all, Perseus, lad, being a god's terrible. I hate myself. Raping your mom was poor etiquette, although if you'd known her... Never mind, that came out wrong. My point is, being half-human's way better, especially if the gods also give you a sword and a flying horse and super jump and ass loads of intel, and you're only up against a kraken, which, though a million feet tall, has a brain the size of a midichlorian. And Perseus is all, are we just going to recycle our pointless relationship from the last movie? <laughs> I decided at the last second acting was called for. Just like Sam Worthington does. <laughs> and Zeus is all, no, this time we got a total plot. And Perseus is all, cool, hey, maybe all the gods will be in this one. I can't wait to meet that one with the wings on his boots. I'll bet that guy's got some stories. And Zeus is all, you done? And Perseus is all, plot me sideways. 
And Zeus goes, there's a calamity coming. And Perseus is all, uh, could you maybe a couple specifics? And Zeus is all, me and Poseidon are going to hell where this titan named Kronos, who's made out of volcanoes, which doesn't explain why all his kids have different powers, except for Hades, is being held prisoner somehow. It's probably a trap to fuck me over. And since they need my power to bring him back, I probably shouldn't go in there with just a water guy and the god of war who always snickers at me whenever I ask him if he's a traitor. But the gods have spoken. Me, I mean, just now. And Perseus is all, Kronos, I thought all the titans were in this cage with bars stuck in their mouths. And Zeus is all, they do now, and throws a smoke bomb and then falls down some stairs. And then there's an earthquake, but Perseus gently catches the gourd hanging by the doorway so it doesn't wake his son. But then a giant piece of cliff falls onto the kid's head. <laughs> so Zeus and Poseidon and Ares go to hell, and Hades is all, thanks for leaving me here alone with Dad and demons and souls of the damned. Remember when we were in Schindler's List? And Zeus is all, your fireballs, I'm lightning bolts. Let's unite our CG to try and serve the community. Visit a local dairy and learn how milk is made. But Ares stabs Poseidon and Hades chains Zeus up so they can free Kronos. Poseidon escapes just long enough to give his trident to Perseus, tells him to seek out his bastard son and give him the trident so he can navigate them through mazes and shit. Then he turns to dust because Greek gods are vampires. Two-headed basilisk invades Perseus's fishing village and kills a bunch of people, including Perseus Jr., based on Perseus's slow-mo shot of no and close-up shots of flames and Basilisk's jaws gnashing right after a shot of it menacing the kid. Luckily, Perseus beats the basilisk using a shield made of the one mystic substance immune to all kinds of fire, wood. <laughs> he also shouts, come and get me, at it which makes it ignore all other threats, and unlike me, can make head or tail of Worthington's accent. Then he chokes it to death by pulling on a chain like Princess Leia, which somehow makes the basilisk mis-aim and blow its own head up, as in the famous Greek myth of the self-destructing basilisk. Perseus is overjoyed to find his kid okay, and that it was just the CG stunt double's son that got roasted, or at least is overjoyed as Sam Worthington's acting will allow. Perseus vows revenge on whoever for not killing his son. Then Pegasus arbitrarily shows up to fly him anywhere he wants. Was Pegasus black in the first movie? When Pegasus kicks Perseus's kid in the head, then clops over, Perseus goes, He likes you! Me, on the other hand! And thus mounting, and is flown majestically to whatever exotic destination he wishes. Which is some tense! Some kind of war's on! The commander's tent is occupied by a blonde archer lady, Queen Andromeda. Wait, in the first movie, Andromeda wasn't an archer. She was nothing. And where's that dumb bitch mom of hers who called the Kraken down on the city? Maybe they're fighting her in this current war. To their credit, the soldiers boredly fire some arrows at Perseus and his horse. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? <laughs> so loud. Is that supposed to be funny? Because no one else in the theater was laughing. I kind of the one stoner who... Is getting the movie. So the queen goes, hold your fire. And then they all dutifully clap when he comes down and struts around farting. His and the queen's body language suggests they banged a couple times already. Maybe Jetta Arterton's character died of boredom. There's also a general character who says stuff to the queen about tactics or something. Doubtless he'll become critical later, or Jonathan Liebsman wouldn't have wasted our time introducing him. They go into some stone tunnels under her tent and find a thief named Asinine, played by Ron Silver, chained up in a dungeon, not being tortured. He tried to steal, quote, the crown jewels. 
Though the guy has his back to him, Perseus goes, Yeah, have you followed his eyes? And orders him freed, because he's the son of Poseidon. As they trudge gloomily down to the CG boat, Asinine says something like, Do you know why I call the sea my kingdom? And then he continues talking at length, but the music drowns him out. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> I like that part, too. Uh, anyway, meanwhile, Hades has Zeus chained to a rock, his powers being drained to resurrect Kronos, which means his wrists are melting. Since the chains binding him in place are encircling his forearms, it seems like this process is actually freeing him in a 227 hours kind of way, but nobody mentions it. Meanwhile, on a boat back in the Adriatic, Asinine asks Perseus to free him. Andromeda's all, don't do it, he'll kill us all and destroy the universe. But she's just the queen, general, admiral, and his girlfriend, so Perseus is all, fuck you, and does it. Asinine then stabs the boat's hull with Poseidon's trident and stares into the distance. Then nothing happens. Perseus goes, gods be fuddled. I knew you had your father in you. Eventually, they park their navy in a forest and walk around setting off dumbass traps that don't hurt them. Till an all-male family of Cyclopses gets pissed off and chases them down. <laughs> Were those the Cyclopses' traps? Who gives a shit? Perseus <laughs> tricks them by pretending to act during a CG action sequence. He finds Asinine still in his Ewok trap and says something badass and totally original like, Nice of you to hang around. And then Asinine quips back, Yes, thanks for making friends with my one-eyed monster. Then the Grandpa Cyclops shows up, and we cut away to nothing happening in hell. Then back to Sam Worthington, looking at stuff. In an iconic sequence that evoked a child's sense of wonder and zeal to read up on ancient Hellenistic legends, they hook up with a crazy old tinker in a dark room in a storehouse or something. He says he banged Aphrodite. He also designed the labyrinth that leads into hell. I see where all that fits together. He just says he designed it from the outside in, so he, quote, had a way back out. So he sounds like a pretty awesome architect. Based on his build, I take it he delegated the actual carving parts. Unfortunately, the dumb chick who keeps praying to Ares to come kill them chooses to do so for the ninth time when they reach the top of the maze cliff, so he shows up and kills a bunch of the queen's red shirts. The tinker guys open the door for some reason during this, but now he goes, They need more time! I guess to himself or us, since he's not talking to his friends in the third person, that'd be dumb. Then he uses Perseus's hey, come and get me trick, which buys the stars of the movie just enough time to heroically run away before the door shuts, and Ares turns around and scowls impotently at it. See, he can teleport to anywhere if somebody says his name, but he can't get through a door made of sand. They wander around the labyrinth and all get crushed by a nine-ton stone door after Asinine, their navigator, throws the map away like the guy in Blair Witch. But luckily, the door was just kidding and nobody's crushed because they use their muscles. <laughs> Perseus sees the ghost of his kid, even though he's not dead. Then a minotaur, but not the one from the Immortals, which he strangles to death by putting his arm over its mouth for a second. But they get to hell, where their mission is a success in that Kronos is awakened and nobody dies. And they get out of the labyrinth, I guess. Andromeda gets back to her army and tells them to stop fighting that other amorphous war and praises them for sticking around while she, their leader, just took off for a few days and lost a bunch of their dudes. When Kronos attacks them by tearing the top off a volcano and throwing it at them, she ingeniously has her troops all wear blackface and shouts royal commands like, hold and stay alert. Fireballs soon pound her troops to fiery pudding, but luckily Kronos is only 300 feet tall and never seems to get any closer for hours. Jess keeps waving his arms. 
Meanwhile, Perseus is in a tomb he had Ares meet him at by praying to him to meet him there. That's how demigods start fights. Unfortunately, he forgot a couple things, and his kid's there as a hostage. I love you, Perseus tells his kid. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> I love you, Perseus tells his kid. <laughs> I know, says the kid. That Jonathan Liebsman, what an original. Ares tells the kid, now I'm going to show you what it's like to lose a father. And the kid's all, wait, my dad killed your father? That's your implication, right? Whose son are you again? Ares clears his throat and looks at Jonathan Liebsman, who shrugs and gives him a thumbs up. <laughs> Ares attacks, or rather screams, and walks out of frame. Meanwhile, Zeus and Hades have made peace and decided to stop the creature. One of them just spent the whole movie trying to help get out of the thing with the thing. Let's have some fun, says Zeus, which for them means throwing little baseball-sized lightning and fireballs at a couple CG fire monsters, and then dying. Perseus beats Kronos by flying down into his urethra and flinging the trident into his sack. The titan explodes, raining lava and flaming god poo for miles around, drenching and suffocating the army. They cheer as they drown. Liam Neeson dies, but not before he tells Perseus that he's grown tired of this franchise. Perseus is so glad to see his son safe that he gives him a sharp sword to play with. The queen returns to her tent. An asinine, only the gods care. The end. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Uh, wow. I, uh... Did I miss anything? Let me see. Did you miss anything? Uh, how do you spell pickle? Pickle's L-E... Not E-L. I, I'm just noticing here. Did you guys see this thing in 3D? Because I didn't. So that's my 2D review of it. Dingus, no, I did not see it in 3D. Dingus, did you see it in 3D? Yes. <laughs> you love Jonathan Liebsman that much. Uh, so the reason I was asking about the pickle thing is I, I did enjoy... Uh, this had that in common with... Um, Bad Santa and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in that the kid makes a wooden pickle for someone. <laughs> so I enjoyed then, that part. I don't remember in the other two movies, though, the dad going, God, oh, that's amazing. Where'd you find that? I made it. <laughs> oh, you made a log-shaped wooden thing? Wow. So I can say it has that in common with other movies. Um, and other wooden sex toys. Uh, I will go ahead and say, just because I feel a little sheepish about this, uh... And maybe it's an expectation thing. I don't. I don't think I hated it. Uh, I, I'm my, almost my... there. I'm almost with you because we've seen so many shitty movies lately. It actually was like I. It, it was less jerky than Hunger Games, and I actually thought at one point, you know what? I like this better than I was liking Hunger Games, and I hated. Oh, I, I had to lower the bar that to low though. I mean, I definitely liked it more than Hunger Games, but uh, uh, I. I I would say, I mean, it's far better than the original, than the, than the, the, the Clash of the Titans movie. You know, at least it has a sense of pacing. Uh, and I, I really kind of liked some of the CG set pieces. Uh, and I don't think I could say that about any of the stuff in Clash of the Titans. Now, I'm not going to say I like the movie. I'm just going to say that I didn't hate it. And I was fully prepared to hate it. I actually was ready to just break out my iPod and start playing games during the movie. And it never came to that. Uh, so uh, that's about as high a praise as I can offer this, and it's certainly more than I expected to be able to say. I liked the labyrinth. Yeah, uh, yeah, the labyrinth is a, is a CG set piece. Yep, that that had some cool stuff. Uh, and it never got as bad as Clash of the Titans. You're right, actually, because I remember during Clash of the Titans, it really wasn't fun. Like I, every sequence bummed me out. Yeah, and I remember feeling that during this. It was more like 
slightly better. <laughs> All right, so so uh, Dingus Kelly Wand and I uh, are Grudging begrudgingly admitting that we the did least lame Jonathan Leaves. <laughs> That's right. We did not loathe it as much as we expected. Uh, Dingus, where do you fall on this? Oh, man. I was going to take that stand and thought I would get punched in the stomach for it. Damn it, you guys. I loved. I just loved Rosamund Pike and Bill Nye so much yeah. and thought that it looked uh, gritty and not cheap uh, and liked some of the stuff you're talking about, too, some of those set pieces that I really – there was things I liked. That I didn't hate it. So just for the record – if you're listening, I don't think any of us is necessarily recommending this or is even that willing to admit that we liked it. We are just, for the record, saying we didn't hate it, right? So am I... Am I, well, the, am I the bar set so low. Yes, that's what I'm yes. saying. We came off Hunger Games, and I think that movie destroyed my brain. I really do. I don't think I can critique anything. Like you might have sustained permanent... Yeah, I've done, yeah I, I think right. I've, it's irrevocable. I think Hunger Games has destroyed me. So... I can't be trusted. Well, they, I mean, it really does. It, you know, coming to this from Hunger Games, at least this had a sense of pacing. And of those CG sequences, I mean, I thought the Minotaur one was the most disappointing. But the other four, you know, the Chimera, the Cyclops, the four-armed creatures, and then Kronos, those were some pretty lively, well-done bits of CG action, I thought. Uh, and there was nothing even remotely that exciting in, in a, a movie like Hunger Games, certainly not in the original Clash of the Titans. Um, like, like, I... I I found myself really digging those sequences and thinking, you know what? There's a sense of pacing. There's a sense of place and action. There's a great sense of scale. Uh, this is like good CG action. Uh, not great. Just you're like passable. Um, and there's occasionally a good shot. Like he actually does have – he's developing an eye almost, <laughs> which I – because I remember Battle there wasn't one shot in it. I oh, God, yeah. Back, like – I, and that's what I was dreading about this movie. Like, ah, oh, this guy's visual style kills me. But compared to fucking, uh, what's the Hunger Games guy? Gary Ross. Gary Ross, yeah, your 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 friend. Jonathan Liebsman's better than Gary Ross. There, I said it. I would say that now as well. Yeah, and he's certainly better. That who directed the original Clash of the Titans or the the remake? Uh, uh, His name's Louis Leterrier, the the transporter dude, right, and the Hulk dude. Right. Uh, so, and that, that, yeah, that was especially disappointing because there was some cool stylistic stuff in the Hulk and Transporter movies. None of that was in Clash of the Titans. Whereas, you're right, Kelly Wand, uh, there was nothing in Battle LA, I mean, other than the advertising campaign and the trailer for that movie, yeah. there was nothing worthwhile in that piece of junk. Uh, whereas in this, I, I couldn't write it off that easily. Uh yeah. So it's still and, bad writing, though. I kind of wish. Oh, absolutely. And and I I really wished um, they'd gotten a lead. Who was the lead in this? Worthington. Who? No, the guy from Avatar. I don't think that's right. Who was Who was that? I don't remember him in it. Are you telling me that Sam Worthington, the guy from Avatar, was in Wrath of the Titans? I don't think that's right, Kelly Wand. All right. What can you tell me? One of the scenes he was in. Maybe I'm just not remembering it. Uh, the part with Perseus. Gosh, I'm not remembering that. Are you sure that was him? Yeah, I don't remember. Maybe I'm getting him mixed up with Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> I, I just don't remember it. I mean, just what what a, a huge planned gaping hole where an actor <laughs> should be. I mean, because because thing is, you mentioned Rosamund Pike, and I'm so glad you did because. That right there is key. If you can get an actor to pretend he or she has seen something awesome and do it, <laughs> I mean, that's half of the work right there. 
You know, <laughs> if you can get Rosamund Pike to show up and just, you know, say, hey, Rosamund, just pretend you see a thing that's 100 feet tall, go. And you know what? She does it. She does it. She carries that. Uh, and then that, that Sam Worthington guy, I really think that's wrong. I don't think he was in this. See, Jonathan Leavesman is improving as an artist, but Sam Worthington seems to have stalled out even after. I don't think he was Learned in this thing. But if he had been in this, I'm pretty sure he would have plateaued. Like it's the, such an ironic last name. <laughs> uh, Dingus, talk a bit about uh, Rosamund Pike. Where should we know her from, and what's the deal? Why is she so good? Why is she so good as far as I'm concerned, or why is she so good based on her training? Is she, I, I just, is she a theater person, or what? I don't know anything about her training. Tell us about her. I don't know anything about her training no. either. I, I, I remember her from um, um, Pride and Prejudice, which I liked a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of CG in that one, I believe. Yeah, that's a that's largely a green screen movie. <laughs> um, um, and I don't I don't know. I just thought she was so hot, and I just really liked that she wasn't um, just in like bunch of frou frou dresses. That she was just this this plotting queen, and that and that she had these a couple of these great takes at moments. And I just I loved her so much in this. Yeah. Uh, she seemed like uh, she she just seemed like a. And I wouldn't begin to know, but she seemed like, hey, you know what? This is a. She wasn't just like some model up there. I mean, she seemed like a really lively person, and you could almost like when when she first shows up, I was like, oh god, they got a hot chick to play the queen general, whatever. But after like that first scene, I was like, you know what? Okay, I can totally buy this. She's selling me on this part. Yeah, awesome. Now give her someone to do a scene with, and and I'll be <laughs> and I'll be sold. Uh, so yeah, just Why? Like, go ahead. Why do they think we like Sam Worthington? Why do they think we give a shit about it? First of all, I don't think he was in this movie, but if he had been in this movie, I would be convinced it's just momentum. I mean, the last thing I saw him in was The Debt. Oh, no, you know what? I saw him in The Debt and Texas Killing Fields, which are (laughs) arguably smaller indie. Well, Texas Killing Fields is a little indie first-time director thing. Uh, yeah. The Dead, of course, is John Madden, the guy that did Shakespeare in Love, and it was like a big spy thriller kind of thing with Jessica Chastain. Um, so they're putting him in like a lot of stuff opposite really decent actors, and I don't understand that. Trick us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it never works. Never I works. think momentum is a really good way to put it, because uh, somebody uh, somebody has created some sort of marketing program behind him, and they put a lot of money into him, and he was in Avatar. So there, there's a lot of money just like in a bulldozer behind the guy. Yeah. So I think momentum is a good way to put it. And after after Clash of the Titans and after his movies have made so much money, you can't very well make Wrath of the Titans and not put him in it, unlike like his wife who magically disappears at the beginning of this movie or before the beginning of this movie. Uh, but at least, at the very least, they, they let him have... a not a cute boy look. I mean, he had like long, greasy looking hair. So he's a father that. now. Yeah, <laughs> I totally believe that relationship. By the way, him and his son. <laughs> I totally believed he was a father all the way through. See, he related. <laughs> he's, he's not horrible. I don't. I don't think he's horrible in this. He just seems constantly surprised that he's in something. You know, yeah, he's well, just, we're all surprised. Whoa, that. what's? Am I supposed to do something? What? That's what I'm saying. I, so I should be liking it more because I should be going, yeah, I know what you mean. Isn't it weird that we're together again? <laughs> but, but Tom's so, totally right. Whenever another actor's in the scene, I'm just thinking, who are they with? Because the other guy, the, the guy who plays um, 
Poseidon's son. Toby Krebel. I just, Kre- Toby, I Toby Krebel, yes, who's in Rock and Rolla. Yep. Um, but he just kept constantly uh, making me think of Dave Grohl, and I really like that guy, and I really liked this guy in the movie. And he's he's got these, this great comic timing and a little bit of weight to him. And he's just it's just like he's acting against a stand-in. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> It's like that's the guy they they bring in to set up the lights, right? And they forgot to tell him to leave and bring in the real actor. <laughs> uh, and, Bill, and Bill Nye, I mean, I you know that guy knows how to do schlocky parts. I mean, he. Oh, I loved him so much. He's so much better. I mean, I like to see Danny Houston show up too. But every but this, I just was like, I can't understand a word Danny Houston's saying. Um, <laughs> And then Bill Nye shows up, and I'm like, oh, good, another person I can understand, and I like what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, wait, what's the thief guy's name? So Toby Krebel was in Rock and Rolla. Uh, what else has he been in? He, he's been around. Like, you recognize, if he were more shorn, I think you would probably recognize his face. Uh, he was also the policeman. I, I don't know if you remember Match Point, but he was the police. He was a policeman in that. Yep. Uh, and I remember him most recently from a, a movie I didn't like very much, um, but he was John Wilkes Booth in The Conspirator, and I, I didn't re- I didn't really care for that. But but the good the guy's a good actor. Yeah. Uh, so you know what you're right, Kelly Wan. Jonathan Liebsman is learning. Uh, yeah. Or at least the, yeah, at least the people casting the. the but Sam movie. Worthington's unteachable. We've also learned. <laughs> Except I really don't think he was in this. I think you're thinking of someone else. I can't believe you've seen two movies with him in it that I haven't even heard. Like, he's making so many movies, there's there's entire school... Well, yeah, like, uh, Man, Man on a Ledge, for instance, just came out, and that had other famous people in it. I think, wasn't oh, that? that was Gerard Butler, I thought. <laughs> you know what? There's not a single part Sam Worthington has played that shouldn't instead have been played by Gerard Butler. That's <laughs> true. You're going to mention Daniel Day-Lewis. Are they both Australian? Or did I dream that? <laughs> Is Lathe of Heaven really happening right now? You know, since we're talking about Jonathan Leavesman and him learning, um, I just want to say, have you have either of you guys seen The Killing Room? Uh, I don't think I have. I'm thinking of The Killing Jar, the thing with uh, Michael Madsen and Harold Perrineau. That's not The Killing Room, right? No, no. This uh, The Killing Room um, is a, a, a smaller movie. It, it's got... Uh, Timothy Hutton. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Shay Shay Wiggum is in it. And Clea your girlfriend Duvall. Clea Duvall. Yeah, no, I have seen that. I remember. Yeah, that's Jonathan Liebsman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so so yeah, definitely like his pre-battle L.A. Let's do something on a. How did he get that cast? Because that's an interesting cast. I, I think he was making something small and was able to pull together people to make it. It doesn't look like it cost a great deal of money to make, but. It seems like if you're going to talk about Jonathan Liebesman growing, he's understanding how to make um, at least how to make character dynamics work, which I think works a little bit in this in in Wrath of the Titans. I, re- I liked The Killing Room. I, I hated his Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, but uh, I I liked a lot of The Killing Room. I liked what he did. Dingus, did he write Killing Room? I don't think so. Okay, because I think a lot of what makes Killing Room work is the script, because it is character dynamics. It's one of those... Uh, how, how would you describe it? How, how would you uh, explain what Killing Room is without necessarily spoiling it? 
Well, I would put I would say it's a play actually. Um, but well, you but say it's it, a play, yeah. but I think since Saw, the Saw movies, there's more of a tradition for that without it seeming like a play. That that sort of uh, pressure cooker characters in a horror movie situation that they can't get out of. Kind of right, thing. right, right. And, and but this is less of a horror movie and more of almost it, it has horror elements, but it's kind of like. Uh, there's a secret government uh, com- uh, a secret government uh, group doing mental experiments on people in a tiny room that they can't get out of. You just spoiled way too much. <laughs> You're fine. Oh, sorry, I apologize. <laughs> uh, is it Peter Stormari and Chloe Sevigny? Is is that? Uh... Yes. Yes. You know what? I quite like that. I did not realize. I, yeah, I guess I'd forgotten the title of it, and I didn't realize that was Jonathan Liebsman. So uh, mm. good. What year was that? It's gonna be. I think it's. Yeah, I would say I would say two thousand eight or nine. Yeah, um, and the guy who wrote it, damn it, it's, you're right. It's not Jonathan Liebsman. It's Gus somebody or other. I can't remember that. Wait, so it has nothing to do with Jonathan Liebsman? No, no he directed it. He directed it. it. Oh, he just, right, right. And it is and I basically. Think, I think it's one of those movies that got made because Saw did so well. And Dingus is right. It's not like a torture porn horror kind of thing, but it's that kind of self-contained script that uh, you can sort of sell as a horror movie slash thriller. Uh, it, and it's literally like Dingus said, a play, and that it's like set in one room more or less. Mm. And there are there are writing touches in. Uh, rather the Titans that I actually liked. Um, and one of the writers wrote Orphan. No, uh, stop. How dare you, Dingus. Sorry. I'll never believe you. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Star Wars reference. Uh, so we had an Orphan writer. So what were some of the writing touches that you liked, Dingus? God. Would you guys <laughs> stop clowning around, do this podcast for real? I, I'm with Dingus. Like, what 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 worked for you, Dingus? Okay, I really like this whole the the, the stuff they're doing with prayer. I like that. I liked the, the the levels of what what prayer is. Prayer gives power to the gods, and Zeus is complaining at the beginning that you, we don't have any power because then you guys will pray to us, Dude, and then. Genius. <laughs> well, that and prayer is GPS. I'm fine with right. that. I I like the idea of. Corinne or whatever her name is, don't pray to Ares. Whatever you do, don't pray to Ares. And then she does. And I and I like that then Perseus uses that to communicate with him. But but it's not like Ares can always hear him, but when he opens that channel, then he can. But the idea of of using prayer to get the god's attention and the attention that you get is being killed. I, I love that. I really like that. <laughs> well, and like, they fold it into the movie very well. Like, they introduce it with the soldiers wanting to pray, and Rosamund Pike saying, no, we're not doing that. Like, they introduce a rule into the universe, and then they use the rule to further the plot. I really liked it in that regard as well. You know, Dingus is, what, what Dingus is explaining, sort of about the theological implications, but also just from a storytelling perspective, how the rules um, drive the plot. I quite liked that as well. I wanted to like it, but it wasn't really a prayer. He's going, hey, meet me at the temple. That's not a prayer. He's just going. Well, they make it clear that he's praying, and that's what he says. Well, what's the, the what's a but a prayer is like getting on your knees and going, "Hey, can Kelly you... Wan, this is way, way, way BC." <laughs> oh, all right. See, this is this is Homer so prayer, old school. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. See, I... it's, it's the idea of prayer <laughs> as opening a channel to your soul. It, oh. it's, it's this idea of throwing a circuit. 
that you can talk to yourself or you can talk to whomever you're going to talk to. But when you pray, you've opened a channel. And I like that. I like that idea. I think it's a nice touch. Yeah. But if it was that easy, wouldn't you just be everywhere constantly? Like, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, I got your checkbook here. Yes, ma'am. Here's Kelly, your if you're if you're, com- if you're complaining that it's not realistic, I think we're with you. <laughs> also, how come the soldier is such a dumbass? I mean, it's like she she's been told, oh yeah, if you pray for Ares, he's going to come and kill us. Never mind. I know. She, yeah, I, recruit. <laughs> well, I was, happens I was, all the time. I kind of didn't even notice her for a while. I mean, she was it just That's me, like, or did she just kind of show up out of nowhere? Karina. They all had her knew her name, but not her rank. Interestingly, so. but it's like it's like telling your private, "Hey, um, here's a grenade. Don't pull the pin out, or we'll all blow up." And then she keeps doing it, and you're like, "No, no, she she'll figure it out. She's only done it 16 times." Like. <laughs> Once, once it blows up once, then she'll know, and then, you know, maybe some of us will still be alive. Kelly Wan, that's how they did military training back then, in the olden yeah. days. It clearly worked. That's uh, why they didn't use grenades <laughs> as often. Very good point. Towards the Troy parts. Uh, so, Dingus, you were the only one here who saw it in 3D. How How is that awesome 3D? Because watching it, I was like, I'm so glad I'm not watching this in 3D. Uh, was the lava flinging simply awesome in 3D? The 3D is horrible in this movie. It's terrible. It looks terrible. Um, and in fact, uh, as is my want sometimes, I went to see uh, whatever showing I could see the end of afterward. And I saw about the last hour again in 2D. And it, the movie looks beautiful. It looks great. In 3D, it looks dark and stupid. And there's really nothing worth seeing. I mean, some of that labyrinth stuff is okay, but... I fucking hate 3d so much again thanks thanks so much for i mean and, and it's post-processing 3d again i you know what I, i'm thinking of the uh you're right that labyrinth shot where the hallway shoots past them that does seem like it was tailor-made for 3d but otherwise i couldn't see a single thing that felt like yeah this should be in 3d uh, well, there's a moment when uh, when uh, Perseus is in um, that in tartar sauce and and the walls shoot up around him and he looks like he's balancing on the edge of something. And all the 3D makes me think is he's in a green screen room somewhere. It, none of it looks real. Right. Um, but that that some of that stuff, just stuff with Bill Nye when he's working out the puzzle at the in that to open the gate and he's trying to remember all that stuff. That stuff is so much better. Uh, special effects than any of the stuff inside the labyrinth. You know, if I may, <clears throat> 3D is just another perversion. Like, they should have just shown, like, the uh, constellations like they do with the ancient gods. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're onto something. I'm just not clear what it is. Like, you know, the stars in the sky make, uh, what's his name in the bow? You know, that guy Ar- with the bow. <laughs> Orion, the hunter. Orion, thank you, yeah. Well, they should have just shown the movie like that instead of putting it in 3D for Dingus. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three. Maybe I didn't say it correctly. Should have just been like a uh, star. Think- you, basically, you're telling Dingus that he should go watch... Wrath of the Titans at the Yeah, go stare into the sky for an hour and a half, and then just go back home. And go, all right. Dingus, you got punked. Saved. Uh, I'm used to it. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, all right, so uh, th- this week's uh, three by three actually applies to uh, Wrath of the Titans, maybe, right, Kelly Wand? Uh, or no, no, Dingus. This is Dingus's three by three. Sorry, if you Kelly want me Wand. to weigh Kelly in? Oh. <laughs> Hold that thought, Dingus. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this week's uh, movie does tie into the three by three, doesn't it? What? <laughs> there is wound See management. He there. has to get stitches. <laughs> he fights. Dingus's Australian he, accent's too thick for me to understand. Wait, you said Chimera? Why do you say it like that? I, I did not say Chimera. It's a Chimera. And he fights it, and, it, and he has to get stitches from it. So this could be on somebody's 3x3. Dingus, what is the 3x3 this week so folks know what I'm talking about? Tom, you look 10,000 years younger after that. Uh, <laughs> great laugh line. All right, this week's... Uh, it was a great... <laughs> yeah, good one. Uh, so this week's 3x3, uh, your top three instances of wound management in uh, and and that did happen in Wrath of the Titans, right? When? When did they treat a wound? So. I think you're thinking of Immortals, Tom. No, he fights the Chimera and then his grandmother has to give him like stitches uh, oh, yeah, after yeah, the I battle. So I you know what? It might be on my list. I I don't wanna I don't wanna spoil that was anyone else's awesome. list. Yeah. Do you uh, remember what he says to her? Uh who's he? What <laughs> Well, the guy you don't think is in the movie says to his grandmother. What does he say? He says, you just fix my body. I'll worry about my soul. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, boy, that's, I that's forgot dialogue. About that. That's dialogue. Wait a minute. Yeah. hate the movie. <laughs> nice work, Dingus. I was totally going to make it in the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, since I'm introducing next week's 3x3, I will go first. Uh, I, this, I think we're all going to end up with pretty much the same things here because this is a great topic, but uh, there are a few movies that just do it head and shoulders better than others. So uh, I disagree with that. Okay, well, well, we'll find out. But I know I have at least one on my list that you guys, not only have you never seen it, you've never even heard of it. This is what's called a kielbasa western. That's <laughs> <laughs> a real thing. It's a it's a Polish movie. It's a western, and it's called, variously, uh, I think it was originally released as a movie called Summer's Love, for some reason. Oh, because that's a song, the name of a song they use in the movie. But it's currently on Netflix as Dead Man's Bounty. Uh, it stars a bunch of Poles speaking English for some reason, heavily accented English. A lot of times you can't understand what they're saying. It also stars, and this is kind of its claim to fame, uh, Val Kilmer as a corpse. He is dead the entire time. He has no dialogue. He's just a dead body. And the, the premise is that uh, Carol Rodin, who's a, I think he's a Czech actor, uh, who I, I really like, he's this guy who rides into town dragging along behind him Val Kilmer's body, and he's going to cash him in for a bounty. And the movie that follows is this crazy thing where the townspeople try to get the body from him, and they fight, and there's a weird thing with the, the sheriff and a prostitute. And it just makes no sense. It's crazy. I don't recommend it. However, there's a great scene where Carol Rodin has been in a, in a gunfight, and he's sustained a wound to the head, and he's bleeding profusely. You know, he's not necessarily in any danger of dying, but there's, like, blood all in his face and in his eyes. So in order to staunch the wound, he takes bullets out of his gun, he taps the head of the bullet off, uh, and he pours the gunpowder onto his head. And then he lights a match and sticks it on his head and then runs and ducks his head in in a mud puddle to to put it out. Uh, And that's how he cauterizes his wound. And I just Uh, remember thinking that's a really badass way to manage a wound. So there's my number three. Uh, Wait, does that work? Is that a medically approved way to do it? 
Uh, I would not Pinch. recommend it. Yeah. What's the danger? The mud can't just fucks up your hair. No, that your that your flesh will burn away. <laughs> oh. I was trying to think. I have something in my brain bank that I could not bring up of somebody using gunpowder in that way. I'm so glad you did. I I don't know this movie, of course. Is 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 how do you say his name? Carol is he was he in um, Running Scared? Yes, so he's the John Wayne fan in Running Scared. He's yeah. an orphan okay. as the doctor. Uh, he's in Born Supremacy. Uh, he, he's all over the place. Carl Rodin tends to be like your go-to guy for a Russian villain. Um, okay. Uh, and you know what? You're right, Dingus. I know there's another one of somebody like cauterizing a wound with gunpowder that I can't remember. But what I love about this is he's literally like pouring it. I mean, he does a Michael Jackson. He lights his head on fire to to to. It's racist. Uh, you know, he doesn't just tie a bandage around his head or, you know, a do-rag. He lights his head on fire. Uh, all right, so that is my number three. Uh, Kelly Wand, how did you feel about this topic, and what is your number three choice? I thought it was the greatest topic ever devised, and it was very hard to whittle things down. Because mm-hmm. doesn't every movie have a wound? At least Psychic. Exactly. The Breakfast Club has a fat girl, according to Tom. Um, what? So I never said I. I don't even think yeah. I've seen Breakfast Club since I was like in junior high. Wait, wasn't it you said Molly Ringwald, the girl inside? It was I think me. that was Dingus. That sounds oh, like a Dingusism. Dingus. Sorry. Yeah. I apologize, Dingus, for calling Tom you. Um, <laughs> my number three is uh, this is the least good one. So I'll just rush past it and okay. hope the other two are less lame. Uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, where uh, Rachel Ward sucks the bullets out of uh, Steve Martin's arm. That's not a bad one. See? All right. So, uh, good. I don't get I don't get that title. Is that a non sequitur, or is that like a reference to a movie? The Plaid. Or is it that sounds a to me, joke? I think it's a jokey uh, Raymond Chandler-esque title. That's what I'm guessing they were going for there. But is it a, so plaid could mean anything. It could have just been paisley. But sometimes dead men do wear paisley. Um, so it's uh, not an immortality. All right. I'm well, done. no, I think plaid is a metaphor for the human condition. Hey, you. <laughs> Dingus, what is your number three choice for wound management in a movie? All right, here's a quote from it. Ah, Yes. You're going to fix my arm while we drive, okay, Scott? Oh, God. See, I hated this one. Dingus. I love it so much. I mean, it's the, it's fine, but it's it's everything that's wrong with poorly done wound management scenes. Oh, it's everything that's right. <laughs> no, everything that's wrong. You misheard okay. me. Wrong. Oh, did you say wrong? <laughs> All right, explain what this is and why you love it because you you blinded by Gina Carano. Oh, I loved Haywire, and you hated it. So no, I didn't why. hate it. I just didn't. I didn't go gaga over it. Like I don't lose all my critical faculties when there's a hot MMA female star on the screen. You only do when she picks the wrong kind of car by your standards. <laughs> oh, and well, the would you, Damon was way better than the. This would you rather be choked out by her or Sam Worthington? Yeah. Who would you I rather be, Fastbender or um, Sam or Worthington? Or the Minotaur? <laughs> would yeah. I rather be the Fastbender fast or a Minotaur? Uh, okay, you do have a point Take there. Take that chick. I'll grant you guys that one. Yeah. All right. So oh, I, think, I love it. I think it's so. I think it's a great way to set up for the badass character, and it's a and it's a, a great shorthand too. And I understand what your uh, what your objection is to it. 
Well, you're but, about to, because I'm about to get into it in a minute, but go ahead. Well, yeah, you can get into it like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> but, but uh, so, um, Mallory Kane, played by the, the aforementioned oh. Toronto. <laughs> Mallory awesome. Kane. Uh, has been shot in the arm by Aaron, played by not Sam Worthington, but Channington. The rich. Um, you know what? That's another. Again, real quick, I want to say there's no single part that Sam Worthington has played that Channing Tatum should not have played instead. So, sorry, I just wanted. Sure. To, oh, I think we all agree on that. I would agree on that. Yeah. All right, so go ahead. So, uh, so Mallory Kane uh, has been shot by uh, by Aaron. Go ahead, Aaron. She's driving away with her nominal hostage. Um, Scott, played by Michael Angarino. Angarano, I'm not sure how to say his name. Just call uh, him the kid from Red State, and everyone will know. <laughs> the kid from Red State. And uh, as they're driving, and it's it's a little bit of a framing device for part of the movie. Um, as she drives away, uh, she has to get her arm repaired while she's doing this really cool car maneuvering. And as she's driving up the road, she says, you're going to have to repair my arm, and this is how you're going to do it. Now, granted... I, I haven't seen this since we saw it in theaters, so I couldn't rewatch the scene. So I don't know the particulars. I just like the way that this sets up her character as a badass kicker. Right. I, I like that. That I mean, she can't do self-surgery on herself at this point, and it's this twisted sort of, you're going to have to fix it. You're this random dude that I'm telling things to. You're the audience. And you fix my wound while I do it. I really like that so much. Uh, Dingus, so here's my beef with that scene. I mean, I, I, we see that a million times where somebody is demonstrated as being a badass kicker by how cavalier they are about a, a bullet wound or a gunshot wound. Uh, and I don't want to mention other instances because these might be on, on, uh, other, on your lists. Um, but my number two choice, I think, is, a, is that same kind of scene, but it acknowledges the gravity of a, of a gunshot. Um, now, I don't need every action movie to to tell me that a gunshot is a serious problem and it's going to incapacitate someone. But what I do appreciate is when a wound management scene takes that into account, where it's not here we're just seeing how tough they are because they're being cavalier about getting their arm fixed or whatever. We're, we're seeing that, hey, getting shot is, is a scary thing. It's a big deal. It can really put you out of commission. You've got to deal with it. And my number two is the ending of Born Supremacy, when Carl Urban gets a lucky shot through Matt Damon's shoulder, and Matt Damon has to get away. He's got to be somewhere. And it, it's just an example of what makes these Bourne movies so great. He goes through a grocery store, and it's like there's a list of things he's got to get. You know, he actually sees a grocery store knowing that he's been shot. And he gets, I think, first of all, he gets a map because he's got to figure out where he's going. But then he grabs uh, like a dish towel and a bottle of vodka. <laughs> and while he's in the car, he pours the vodka on the, the wound and then sticks the dish towel under his coat there to sort of stanch the bleeding. Um, but I just love how he – and he's pale. Like you can see him sort of pale and sweating. He's hurt, uh, and he knows he's got to deal with it. It affects how he drives. I love how – uh, the bottle of vodka plays into the, the action a couple of times, like when he has to, uh, when some policemen accost him, he spits vodka into their face. He puts the vodka down by the gear shift, and it's constantly in the shot later on. Um, but I just love how it shows how Jason Bourne thinks and how he addresses a problem and how it's going to slow him down or not and how he's going to deal with it. And it's none of this, oh, I'm shot, I'm going to be cool, and because that's great for a, a sort of a throwaway action movie. And to be fair to Haywire, you know, Steven Soderbergh wasn't trying to do that kind of realistic stuff. 
Um, but I love that in wound management when the wound is serious and even though the guy might be badass, he knows it's a problem and he's got to deal with it. Uh, but she doesn't have time for any of that. She can't go shopping. She can't get vodka because the diner doesn't even serve beer. You don't. Jenny oh, Tatum you're right. Shows. Uh, do you have a point? You do have a very good point. And all she can do is is manage it for that particular moment. And all she can do is say, take care of this right now because it has to be taken care of because I have to drive this car. I can't stop at a grocery store. I can't pick up a bunch of supplies. Why can't all you can do is do this and that. It's hard for women to get beer. There's there's one road out of Canada or wherever the fuck they are. There's one road, and then there's <laughs> hey, a bunch of trails. There's no way to stop. I, I mean, it's this. I have to deal with this right now, and it's that perfect sort of, I'm on a cliff and you have to deal, and I have to deal with these things. I mean, I love your choice for point supremacy, and I didn't think of that. I love it so much because oh. I I can see him going through and picking up those supplies. But she doesn't have time for any of that. She has to do it That's on the fly. Um, well, you know what? Maybe she should make time if she's going to get shot. That's sexy. <laughs> all right, Kelly Wand. What is your? Because that was one I thought we would all pick. So I'm glad to hear Kelly Wand is your number two choice for point supremacy. No, I don't pick things from sequels. I think that's uh, not trying. It's hacking. Fair point. All right, so then what did you pick? What's your number two choice for wound management? My number two. Right, mm-hmm. well, it's one I, I just assumed that we'd all pick, because, of course, we all remember the classic uh, Gabe Kaplan film Fast Break from 1979. <laughs> Is it a basketball movie? Okay. Um, at one point, one of the players... Wait, wait, how, are you, how are you spelling break? Are you spelling it in the Terminator Salvation way? <laughs> I'm spelling it, yes, I'm spelling it in the Terminator Salvation way, but uh, correctly. <laughs> okay. So that's uh, B-R-E-A-K. Yeah. All right, so it's not... It's so a basketball term. Obviously, you're not familiar with Oh, that. it's not Jock. about someone stopping a car quickly. No. Okay, I was confused. Or a motorcycle, in McGee's case. Terminator Salvation. Terminator 4. The last right. one. So, so apparently Gabe Kaplan has been shot, am I correct? No, uh, one of his players gets punched in the face super hard in the game, and like he's bleeding, and his, like his nose is broken. And uh, Gabe Kaplan's a coach, and he the, his advice <laughs> his advice is to walk it off. So they like have him like do lap, like walk off the broken nose. So that's my number two. <laughs> All right, that's good. That is, that is technically a wound. I like that. That was funny. That makes line. me think of what, uh, well, we'll save it for runners-up. Okay. Fast you can break. find good lines in a lot of unsus- unprepossessing-looking films. That's the reason to watch them. Because some of my snobby friends go, why do you watch those stupid Wrath of the Titans movies? I'm like, well, there's this one good line at the end. <laughs> You're a great disappointment. Spoiler alert. Kelly Wan, that's why I, wa- I watch so many awful movies. And, yeah, I agree. Like, almost, there, there are very few movies that don't have at least one thing to recommend them. Yeah. And the people saying these things will go see fucking Avatar and go, oh, it's everything. Shit. Hey, Kelly Wan, he's here on the podcast with us. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but, well, well, I, was, I was away for a second. What did you guys say? We're just talking about how much we love Sam Worthington. Oh, God, that guy. He's not in that movie. It's about a blue guy. This is voice acting. His strongest suit is an actor, Sam Worthington's. It's the best uh, arrow in his quiver. His Did you guys see the guns. eagle? He was so great in that. Oh. I really liked him in There Will Be Blood. I just think that was his most triumphant performance. He mm. was good in uh, that Scorsese movie uh, where the New York is depressing. Now, what's the one with Leonardo DiCaprio and Daniel Day-Lewis? New York Stories. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like, New York, New York, New York. New York, New York, 
Gangsters. Victorian Gangsters, the movie. Dingus, what is your number two choice for wound management in a movie that is not born supremacy? Or anything. All right, my, my number two choice, I don't think either of you have seen this. So, and I don't think I can remember a single line from it. Um, because there's a lot I didn't like about it, but I really like this particular moment. There, yeah, there are things I do like about it. Anyway, did either of you see The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo last year? Nope, I saw the original uh, Finnish version. I saw How to Train Your Dragon Tattoo. <laughs> well, All right. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's Swedish, of course. But no, uh, Dingus, you were the only one who saw that. So what's the wound management in that that you liked? Well, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you saw it. It's not, it's not the tattoo, and it's not any of the, the scary moments. Um, uh, and I'm, I'll be interested to hear if, because I didn't see the original Norwegian version. Um, so I'm hoping that Tom can illuminate me as to whether this moment is in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in, uh, in the American version, which again, I, there are a lot of things I really did. I had really had problems with, uh, and I had not read the book, but, uh, Daniel Craig goes out poking around the woods, uh, near his little cabin of writing that he's been researching. He's supposed to be doing, and he gets shot in the head. By some hunter. Well, that movie was over. Okay. So. I like that this is pitching the movie to us. Cabin but, writing, but, shot in the head. Yes. Continue. I but see it, now it's, why it's such a big hit. It, it just it's it's some hunter. It could be an accident. Who knows? But it, the bullet grazes his head, and he he scaredly runs back to his little cabin. And Elizabeth Salander's there. Salamander, whatever, however you say her name. Um, and she. Uh, she set up all these cameras outside the place. She locks down the, the apartment. She throws him in the bathtub, and she repairs the bullet wound to his forehead. And she grabs dental floss. And, again, uh-huh. this, isn't, this isn't something I could rewatch. Um, and she, and Tom mentioning the vodka, she pours the alcohol over his head. And she sews up the wound there for him. Just, she just does it. She takes care of this moment. And the reason I like it so much is because... Um, for me, I, I felt a little uncomfortable. It, it really feels like this um, middle-aged writer's fantasy of this this young, damaged girl falling in love and wanting to have sex with him immediately. And this moment gives that justification and, and lets me enjoy the story more. Otherwise, it just seems uh, pure off. And, um, and, and her repairing this wound on him and then immediately wanting to seduce him, I saw that. I saw what the characters were doing. And I understood her suddenly feeling like she needed this from him and wanted this from him for a variety of reasons. And so I love that that wound reparation there. I love that. So what I'm getting from this, and yes, Dingus, that was in the original version of the movie from Luxembourg. But what I'm getting from this, Dingus, is that that scene helped you understand why someone would want to seduce Daniel Craig? Exactly, because otherwise I can't see what the appeal is for that guy, whether you're from yeah. Lichtenstein or wherever. Yeah, he's no Paul Walker. That's for sure. And his, his accent. What the hell was his accent in that movie, Australian? <laughs> Crikey. So, Dingus, she grabs dental floss and vodka. What does she use for, uh, like, a hook or a needle? Like, does she just use a sewing needle? Do you remember? I really don't. I don't okay. remember how she does it. There must be a sewing kit or something. Uh, again, That's usually true. I can go back to my choices as for my number one. Because I have them in my collection, or they're available uh, 
instant watch and I can rewatch the scenes and end up watching the whole movie. Uh, but I couldn't do this. I just had to go on memory. And I right. just remember loving how she immediately took control of the situation, prepared him, and then wanted to sleep with him. And I got this feeling of her. I got this idea of what the character was about. It was a real, really, it was really this moment that just was illuminating for me. Kelly one, how come he's the only one to have seen that movie on this podcast? Because we don't see things because everyone says, oh, you got to see this. <laughs> Plus, it sounded like Hannah, but with James Bond, and it's very solid. <laughs> that should be a tagline. I like that. <laughs> right, well, with James Bond in it. Uh, my number one, I'm, I'm positive you guys are going to – I'm assuming this is your number one, Dingus. Uh, Kelly Wand, I'm assuming that it should be your number one. I don't know what you actually picked. Uh. But when I think of – uh, wound management uh, in a movie that acknowledges the severity of a gunshot. This right here is the non-parial of wound management scenes. Uh, both of the characters, there's been a gunfight, two dudes have a shootout, they both uh, <laughs> wound each other and have to go their separate directions, and they both have this long-term fallout uh, from their wounds. It's basically like a week or so, if not longer, of recuperating from the wounds. And I love how the movie acknowledges the severity of these gunshot wounds. And we we actually see one of the characters going through this elaborate ruse to procure what he needs to treat the gunshot. Uh, and the movie, of course, is No Country for Old Men. Uh, and it's when Shiger and Llewellyn have the fight out at the hotel, the shootout at the hotel. Um, and then afterwards, Llewellyn stumbles over to Tijuana, where he uh, ends up being dragged to a hospital by, I think, a mariachi band is the implication. He gives them money. Uh, and Shiger has to stage uh, has to you know stage an explosion to distract people in a pharmacy and then get the supplies. And then he goes to a, a motel room, and he does some stuff with, like, a bottle and shaking up peroxide. He does all this, like, medical field triage kind of stuff that I don't know what it was, but it looked cool, and it looked like he knew exactly what needed to be done, and then he knocks himself out for an indeterminate amount of time to recuperate. Uh, I just love how there's this great kinetic, like, gunfight scene, and and then we see the fallout afterwards. Uh, I love that, that stretch of No Country for Old Men. Hmm. Did anyone else have this on their list? No. I mean, I felt like we talked about that movie enough for the rest of our lives. So you wanted to give another movie uh, some time? Yeah. Fair enough. Plus, I think I can beat you. Okay, so you have a better number one than No Country for Old Men. Yeah, I don't think it's a movie you've seen, so you won't go. You're not going to ah. go, oh, touche. You'll just go, whatever, dude. And then the <laughs> podcast will end quietly. Uh, well, Dingus still has his number one to go. But yours is good. I'm surprised you didn't pick something else as a runner-up that I had. Like, I thought I Well, was I have sure. runners-up. I have others that I want yeah. to mention, including one I don't think... Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, all right, so Kelly Wan, what is your number That's one? That's a great choice, by the way. I didn't. Oh, I love that one. I love it so much. Uh, it was. It actually was on my list for a while. Uh, and then I, I went another way. I watched another movie this week, and that one... I think you're going to hate me for choosing it over No Country. I, I really like that, but I like what this movie does with that particular scene because it's similar to what Tom's talking about with what Sugar has to do after he blows at the pharmacy and, and does that whole thing with, with himself, in particular what Tom describes at the end. Uh, so I, I absolutely love that. I think that's a, a perfect pick. Kelly, uh, it sounds like Dingus picked Avatar for his number one. There, no one gets wounded in that movie. They all get wounded. Are you kidding? The Tree of Life. 
sorry. Oh, yeah. That's All right, well, Kelly Wan, what is your number one then? Uh, you've talked it up quite a bit. I'm curious to hear what it is. Mm, you know, it's probably an anticlimax. Have you seen this movie called Naked Blood? So Whatever, dude. <laughs> that's it. You told me I would say that, so I just wanted you to be correct. Well, I think you would have said it anyway. Naked uh, blood. Naked, but yeah, why would blood ever wear clothing in the first place? Oh, because related to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So naked it's, blood. Uh, Tell us what's the movie and what's the wound management in this movie? I've never even okay. heard of this. You haven't heard of it. All right. So naked blood is this Japanese movie. And it's ah, about well, there you go. this guy who gives a, a drug contraceptive thing to these three girls that his mom's treating. He like smuggles the drug and puts it in and it, uh, makes them um one of them's a she likes food a lot and then one of them is an insomniac she's got this thing about a cactus and then one of them is a narcissist and so it makes them uh like horny when they hurt themselves so uh naked blood uh see the chick eats her uh never mind it sounds like a great companion movie to Dead Man's Bounty, the the kielbasa western. <laughs> it's, it's Japanese, though. So it's okay. A little east, a little west. Uh, all right. So a little okay. on your chest. <laughs> what the heck? Dingus, I don't even know what that was. Made me very uncomfortable, though. <laughs> Dingus, are you familiar with Naked Blood, this Japanese movie that Kelly Wand is talking about? Uh, no, but I understand how you get horny when you hurt yourself. Whoa, if you whoa, like whoa. laughing with horny disgust, don't miss Splatter. It's part of the Splatter series, Naked Blood. Kelly Wand, I did see a movie. Uh, There's oh, also a romance. I saw some Japanese horror movie about hair that comes alive and kills people. And there's a meek girl who works like in a hair salon. And the hair gets loose and starts attacking her friends. How? Uh, well, like you put, they make wigs out of it, and when you put the wig on, it grows into this like huge, like tentacle hair creature that like kills people. What was it? Does it, it, was it burrow cut? into the skull? Or yeah, it does it like that. Crush? And this one guy who like has a hair fetish has has uh, absconded with a corpse who has has this killer hair in it, and the hair grows all into his apartment, and it becomes like a hair apartment, and it's alive. And uh, oh, that sounds kind of good, actually. It's called something like Extreme: The Hair Chronicles, <laughs> or it's something. It's got some weird title. But in English, what's it called? <laughs> it is something. It's like Extreme: The Hair Monster, or Rats. What was that called? Part of the Extreme series. You know what? Just ladder series. I'm pimping. Right, just Google uh, Japanese hair movie, and I'll, I'll bet it's it'll like come up. the plots for the Japanese horror movies are like something a three-year-old would write <laughs> while he was dreaming. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. It got put into a word generator. So, uh, Naked Blood, Kelly. Wants Naked Blood one. is the greatest wound management scene I've ever seen in a movie. All right. Good to know. Dingus, so, what? Yeah. Go ahead, Tom. I, I need a little advice. Mm-hmm. Should I ask Kelly what the actual wound is? I was afraid uh, that someone might do that, uh, and I I don't relish the thought of hearing it <laughs> at this point. Okay, yeah, I know about the movie, so I'm gonna say no. It'll bum you out. All right, I can write around it. That's okay. Just say uh, Kelly Wan's weird Japanese horror movie, Naked Blood. None of us will ever get laid again if I continue. <laughs> Taking him to the team. All right, so uh, Dingus, what do you have that beats Naked Blood? And that I'm going to take issue with, apparently. Um, it 
does have sort of a Japanese theme. Mm. Mm, I know what it is. All right, well, here's a Topsy quote. I can give you the quote. You want the quote? Ready? Yes, go ahead. Dicky, 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 dicky. Uh, no, it's not that. No. Stop it. Why would you even Wait. bring that up? Now I'm going to be able to sleep tonight. Thanks. <laughs> is there wound management in that, though? Doesn't after she cut off his foot, doesn't there... Uh, I think there's wound management in Audition, isn't there? Uh, I thought you misery. <laughs> ah, good. Good one. Uh, but okay, so Dingus, yeah, what is it before we actually give it away? All right, here's the quote. Okay, what we're going to do is routine. I've done this many times before. There are no vital organs or arteries. It's okay, you won't kill me. Just make sure you get the bullet before you pull it out. Oh, good Lord. Any movie where somebody has to take a bullet out of someone. Yep, that's it. That's the movie. (laughs) Uh, I'm really good at guessing. It's got to be running scared. What? Doesn't somebody have to take a bullet out of running? That's a wall. Billy Crystal has to take one out of Gregory Hines, you mean? That does sound familiar, though, Dingus. Wait, do it again, but better. I'm not going to do it again. All right. Tom doesn't know what it is? I don't know. No, because I don't think he particularly liked this movie. And it's got some... When you watch it again, it's got some really bad green screening that goes on, but there's so much that I liked about it. Oh, God, he's doing a Phantom Menace thing, isn't he, Kelly Wand? Yeah, the, all those... didn't have any green screen in it. Laser bullets. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what this is, Ding. It's Road to Perdition. Laser swords, bullets, and artillery. <laughs> the movie. <laughs> I love that movie. That's after Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Austin. <laughs> uh, this is the movie Ronin. Um, All right. The 1998 John Frankenheimer movie, and I, I, I ugh, love this. I love. I this thought movie. it was the car chase movie. I didn't know there was a gunshot wound. Uh, there's a, there's, there's an actual. It's actually an incidental wound. It's what's so weird about it is that um, uh, Robert De Niro gets the drop on uh, this guy who's about to shoot uh, Jean Reno. And he just yells at him, and and the guy turns and shoots, and it hits this stone wall, and the bullet ricochets, and it goes into Robert De Niro's abdomen. And uh-huh. so, yeah, ha ha. <laughs> and so they're driving away, and, and De Niro says, I- I'm going to deal with this. You know, we need to stop at a pharmacy I can pick up, or a veterinarian office or something. And they end up at uh, the guy who paints miniatures uh, villa, and... Robert De Niro, who has expertise in removing appendices with grapefruit spoons, um, has them set up a, a mirror, and he directs them into how to uh, yeah. take out the bullet. I do remember that and, scene. I guess that is a good scene. Oh, it's a great scene. And he refuses any alcohol that the guy offers him. He just tells them to clean the wound with it, but he won't drink it himself because he needs to be clear for how to direct them in the surgery and it's just so great how he maintains the sense of pain and this ability to stay conscious uh even uh, you know up to the point where you're talking about in the sugar scene at the end where he says can you guys fill me up because i'm gonna go ahead and pass out now <laughs> very good that is yeah that is a good scene i do remember that so there you go that's my number one kelly wand is that better than the scene in naked blood which movie? <laughs> uh, well, of course, no one. Uh, so runners up. Uh, what, what kind of options are there for runners up? Of course, uh, Rambo, I think, is the famous. Hey, we're going to be so tough. He's going to give himself stitches and not even really flinch. 
Like that's the kind of quintessential wound management tough guy scene, I think. Hmm. I like the way Steve Buscemi just puts a, a napkin on his cheek after he yeah. gets shot. <laughs> That's great. No, what is that? Is that in uh, what, Fargo? Fargo, eh? Fargo, yeah. Oh, that is awesome, Dingus. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty good. I'm going to staunch the blood with a napkin. Good luck that. Uh, uh, the Terminator is pretty famous. That that whole that's uh, not a wound because he's a machine with a break B R E A K in him. Ah, good point. A pain break. What about oh, Evil Dead? Take, oh, okay. When he takes his eye out, duh. Yeah, and uh, he has to wear the sunglasses. It, it it becomes an excuse for product placement, you could say. Um, uh, there. I don't know. I, I don't know if this is technically this isn't a wound, but it's kind of like the the traditional wound management scene, and I love how it comes from something so mundane. Uh, but I, I love the fact that in Castaway, before the the FedEx plane crashes, Tom Hanks has a toothache, oh, nice. and after he's been there for so long, it gets worse and worse and worse, and he ends up in this nightmarish scene having to extract his own tooth. Using, I think, the uh, ice skate. Uh, With in, a rock. In a, in a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's precision work in action. Uh, using what? He hits a night. He puts the ice skate against his gum, and then he pounds oh, it with a rock. Oh god! But and I like. Apparently, that solves the problem instead of making him <laughs> ten times worse somehow. Well, it, it exactly what he's doing. I mean, he's got a bad. Yeah, tooth, but doesn't have got to get it out. Doesn't he have an ice skate stuck in his cheek? Then about six inches. The way he fucking pounds it. Uh, he probably and just opened his mouth it? really wide. All right. <laughs> oh, that's, that's horrible. Oh, that's horrible and great. It just make yeah. me squirm so much. Uh, other runners up. Uh, does 127 hours count? Ah. Yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah. Is it a wound? Don't well, th- see, the thing is, I was trying to think, is there a difference between injuries and wounds? <laughs> uh, I was, when I was thinking of this, I was thinking of, of I was really thinking of, uh, because of the the way the Hunger Games had inspired this of uh, sort of self surgery, if you could think of that, um, but it it ended up going beyond that. Um, so I was thinking of like open wounds as opposed to like breaking your leg and then bandaging it. So right. Well, Hunger Games just gave you magic lotion that instantly saw like cures the wound. I right. did see something. I wish I could remember what it was, but it's like Dingus talking about knowing that he saw somebody clear a wound with gunpowder. I know I recently saw some kind of sci-fi or near-future movie where they use some kind of foam to fix a wound. I wish I could remember what that was. But it it was a kind of a quasi-scientific version of what we saw in in Hunger Games. Um, I also have something in my head of somebody heating a sword or a knife, you know, to the point where it glows, and then using that to cauterize a wound. But but that might just be a a weird fever dream or or remembering... uh, the way I read Misery as opposed to the way Misery looked on the screen. Mm. Kelly, I remember you... liking Die Hard 4, but I didn't want to... I didn't like Die Hard 4 enough to put it on a list. But doesn't Bruce Willis, like, shoot the guy behind him by shooting himself, and then, like, the bullet goes through him and shoots the other guy? That's Some... terrible wound management. <laughs> That's well, terrible. It's wound... Yeah. But, but you know, talking about him in the first movie where he has to bandage up his right. glass. Yeah, but then I thought, is that really about the management, or is it about Alan Rickman being clever enough to make his feet, like, noticing? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's uh, fun. 
I what guess, about this kiss bang bang? You know what? I wondered about that too. That's that's kind of beyond a wound, isn't it? But there is some managing there. <laughs> I was almost certain you were going to have that, and that's why I dodged it. I thought about it. That's a good one. And it's not. Yeah, it's a, the severed finger you're talking about. Oh, no. okay. I just oh, you're not. Finger. <laughs> JK. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. So you guys ready for next week's three by three? Yay! Yes. All right. Here we go. Uh, this, like many three by threes, comes from Jaws. Uh, Jaws. Is, when I saw Jaws as a kid, it was uh, it, it really freaked me out. Uh, and there are two scenes that every little kid would remember from Jaws. I mean, a lot of scenes. But uh, when Ben Gardner's head rolls out of the boat, when Matt Hooper's investigating the boat at night, uh, you know, it's it's a jump scare. This, this this disembodied head floats out of a hole in the boat and scares the bejesus out of you. And then, of course, later in the movie, there's uh, Brody. Uh, shoveling the chum into the water and the shark jumps out of the water and scares them. Both of those are what I would call jump scares. Uh, however, I feel very strongly that one of them is really cheap and one of them is is absolutely earned and is well done. The Ben Gardner head scare is really cheap uh, and there are a lot of these in horror movies. We call them like cat scares or bird scares where something unrelated jumps out and it, it's it's cheesy and a lot of times it's accompanied by a loud noise or the convenient framing of the shot to where something can come from off of the side of the shot. So when Ben Gardner's head rolls out of the boat, the John Williams soundtrack has this awful like saw blade noise. It's just it's a total cheap jump scare. I hate it. However, when Brody is is uh, chumming the water, the shark, you know, it's no cheap framing. You, you see the water, you, you know, you see the shark coming up out of the water. There's no uh, really loud musical cue or noise. Uh, it's really earned, fair jump scare. So what I want from you guys, and I say this as a guy who hates 99% of the jump scares in movies. I think 99% of them are cheap. They suck. They're not earned. They're manipulative. They're all about loud noises or framing. Uh, Sam Raimi's, um, what was that evil gypsy movie? Drag Me to Hell. I loathed that movie because it was all about cheap jump scares. So what I want from you guys are three fair jump scares. <laughs> fair. So do you understand sort of the difference? Like, uh, and, and it can be whatever you feel is fair. Like I, I've sort of laid out what I feel is cheap and what I feel is fair. So what I want are examples of what you feel are fair jump scares. That's a really good distinction within the same movie. Well done. This is going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. It will be difficult because, like I say, most of them are cheap, and maybe you'll have to have you'll have to come up with sort of gradations of cheapness and give me the least cheap ones. Because uh, sh- in the one in Jaza, that's the first time you see the shark too, so you're reacting. Not true. Not true at all. Absolutely not true. You've seen the shark kill Alex Kintner. You see the shark eat the lifeguard. No, you don't get a good look at them though. That's oh, first you time get you get a great. How dare you? No, how dare you? Because you get a fantastic view of the shark when it eats the lifeguard off of the the dinghy. Uh, you, you know, it's a long shot down in the water. Uh, you're right. It's not a long sh- I mean, it's not, you know, it's not like watching it just swim around, but there's this great, like that image is sort of seared in my kid brain, the shark coming up underneath that lifeguard on the dinghy, you know, before the, the leg sinks to the bottom. Um, yeah. And the pacing and the timing of the scene that you're talking about, the good of the non-cheap scare is so much different than the, crappy cheap the, the yeah. cheaper scare i mean the just think about it it's daytime and yeah, the, yeah, way yeah. The, the way it comes out of the water it's not uh, yeah oh damn it tom 
So, of course, that's off the table. And, and here's the thing. I only have one other that I can think of right now. Like, I haven't, I'll have to give it some thought, but I can only think of one other one that I would consider fair. Uh, so, yeah, do with this what you will. We'll see. Give so, me a dick. Uh, pardon? Well, you're just making a hard one. You know, we can't do it. It's a... Uh... Well, do you feel, I mean, do, don't you feel that there are some jump scares that are more fair than others? Not better than the Jaws one. I definitely do, and I've got one movie that I've I've been meaning to see again for a few years because I gave it a pass on those kind of scares, mm-hmm. and now I have to see it again to see if it qualifies. So, yeah, this is good. I like this. Oh, we'll see. We'll see what we can come up with. Uh... Does the thing in Final Destination 5 where she's jumping on the parallel bar count as a jump scare? Are you uh, I, uh, I don't... Uh, Shalane Simmons in the, the sun tanning bed. That counts as a jump scare. Ah. Mm. <laughs> uh, all right, so there you go. And then next week, let's see uh, American Reunion. No. That's the best John Williams Scott movie playing next week I can think of. <laughs> Speaking of jump scares. No, so yeah, we will not be seeing American Reunion. She's dead. Fucks. <laughs> Some, something's mom. That's Jennifer Coolidge you're talking about. Jennifer How dare Coolidge's you? Mom, no, we are not going to see American Reunion. I, I apologize. We are instead going to see a little Canadian movie uh, called Goon. And that's spelled, uh, in case McGee is listening, in case McGee is listening, that's spelled G O O N. So if you can, uh, it's on video on demand. It's had a limited release. Right now it's in LA at one theater, it's been uh, in a couple of cities in Canada. So if you can catch Goon before next week, Join us for that, and then our three by three of most or of fairest jump scares, or just three fair jump scares. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Monsanski. It's Christian Morosky. Uh, that's what I said. And also Kelly Wand. I thought that's what the G and G stood for. Who was in that again? Mama put my guns in the ground. Guy Pierce? <laughs> I can't shoot them. Oh, I'm surprised Dingus didn't pick uh, for wound management when the stormtrooper hits his head. I guess put a bandage on it. I know they're still good in you. <laughs>